Matthew chapter 5, Matthew chapter 5, verses 27 through 30. Jesus says, you have heard that it was said, you shall not commit adultery, but I say to you that everyone who looks at a woman with lustful intent has already committed adultery with her in his heart. If your right eye causes you to sin, tear it out and throw it away, for it's better that you lose one of your members than your whole body be thrown into hell. And if your right hand causes you to sin, cut it off and throw it away, for it's better that you lose one of your members than your whole body go into hell. Now, this is as far as we're going to cover tonight. Because as you can see, the next section is going to be dealing with divorce, and that is probably going to be a one-week, if not two-week study. We'll see how that one goes. So we're just going to cover this section tonight. And if we're done early, Merry Christmas. If we're not, Merry Christmas. All right, so as we saw in our last study, Jesus is revealing the heart of man. And this is where our real sin issue lies. Let me remind you of that with a couple of scriptures. Go to Jeremiah chapter 17 and look at verse 9. Jeremiah 17, verse 9. It says, the heart is deceitful above all things and desperately sick. Some of your translations say, and beyond cure. I like that. Who can understand it? Let me read that verse to you again. The heart is deceitful above all things and desperately sick. Who can understand it? Go to Matthew chapter 15. Look at verses 15 through 20. In Matthew chapter 15, starting in verse 15. Peter said to him, explain the parable to us. And he said, are you still without understanding? Do you not see that whatever goes into the mouth passes into the stomach and is expelled? But what comes out of the mouth proceeds from your heart. And that this defiles a person. For out of the heart come evil thoughts, murder, adultery, sexual immorality, theft, false witness, slander. These are what defile a person. But to eat with unwashed hands does not defile anyone. So again, Jesus has made very clear, and we want to be reminded of this, that our sin problem is in our hearts. It's within us. It's been, we've been born with it. It was passed on to us. Again, those of you who have been parents, you didn't have to teach your kid to say no. You didn't have to teach your kid to steal or to lie or to say mine or to bite. Some of you probably raised a biter. When they didn't get what they wanted, they would bite. I'm sure, pretty sure that isn't what went on in your home and how you taught the, co- the kid to react. We've been taught over the years by the scientists or the sociologists that, well, the only reason people are bad is because of their environment. No, folks, sin is real, and it's in our hearts, and that's where it's coming from. And that's why Jesus is trying to, in what he's teaching here in Matthew chapter 5, he's trying to get at the heart of the issue and people's hearts. He's wanting to reveal the heart of man where our real sin issue is. But when people only look at their outward actions and they don't acknowledge their heart issue, they may fool themselves into thinking that they're keeping God's law when they're not. Let me say it to you again. When people just look at their outward actions and not really allow God to show them their hearts, they may fool themselves into thinking, I'm actually, well, how do the world people word it today? I'm a pretty good person. Well, I think Jesus himself even said, there's no one good but who? But God. So I'm going to just kind of show you that concept in the scriptures here. We were in Jeremiah chapter uh, 17, verse 9. Go back and look at verse 10. Jeremiah chapter 17, look at verse 10. 
We've just seen verse 9 say that your heart is deceitful above all things and beyond cure, desperately sick. <clears throat> Look at verse 10. God says, I, the Lord, search the heart and test the mind to give every man according to his ways, according to the fruit of his deeds. Now, you say, wait a minute, Jim, what do you mean according to the fruit of his deeds? I thought it was our hearts. Well, what did we just read in Matthew 15? It's when it's in our hearts, it's going to come out in our actions. Go to 1 Corinthians chapter 4 and look at verse 5. I love what Paul is doing here in 1 Corinthians 4. It's actually a very, very deep concept that he's bringing out because he's actually been accused of being not really an apostle and Paul has a, acts like he has a lot of authority over us and who gave him that right and Paul had to defend himself in his apostleship a lot because some people didn't like in the churches what he had to say and pretty much he had to show to them look I am an apostle and here's why he spent a lot of time dealing with that but he makes a very interesting comment. Look at chapter 4, verses 1 through 5. This is how one should regard us, Paul said, and he's talking about the apostles. This is how one should regard us as servants of Christ and stewards of the mysteries of God. Moreover, it's required of stewards that they be found faithful. But with me, it's a very small thing that I should be judged by you or by any human court. In fact, I don't even judge myself. For I'm not aware of anything against myself, but I'm not thereby acquitted. It's the Lord who judges me. Therefore, do not pronounce judgment before the time, before the Lord comes, who will bring to light the things that are now hidden in darkness and will disclose the purposes of the heart. Then each one will receive his commendation from God. As they were judging him and whether or not they thought he was really an apostle, he says, you know what? I'm not really bothered by whether or not you guys judge me or not. Now, i got to be honest with you. When I was a pastor, I still wish I had that attitude. I wish I understood that passage of Scripture there because I spent most of my time trying to keep everybody happy, wanting everybody to like me. And everybody liked me, for the most part. But a lot of it was me just trying to make them happy and listen to me. And my wife and my kids will tell you I made myself miserable in the process because I was too worried about what everybody thought. Paul said there's only one person I really care about what they think of me, and that's the Lord. And he says... I don't care if I'm judged by you or any human court. In fact, I don't even judge myself. Now, I'm going to help some of you out there tonight, I hope. I'll let the Lord help you through what I'm about to say. Some of you spend too much time examining yourself, checking yourself. How am I doing? Am I doing enough? Is the Lord pleased with me? Paul said, I don't even judge how I'm doing on my own. Now, he goes, I don't know of anything that I'm guilty of that doesn't mean i'm innocent i leave that to the lord and folks let me just tell you you have a father who loves you and if there's something he wants to talk to you about he'll talk to you about it and he'll do it in love he'll do it very clearly and he'll show you what he wants you to work on until then go play go have fun enjoy being his child my son's here tonight and i'm glad all my three kids are here. What a blessing tonight that they're all home. Christmas is kind of fun, isn't it? When they all come home from college and running away from home like the two girls did and everything. But uh, um, when AJ was little, he used to ask me this question a lot. Dad, are you happy with me? Dad, are you, is there something you want me to do? Or would you be, would, and I watched in him that same struggle I had with the father. 
And it hurt me to watch him say, are you happy with me? Would you like me to do something? And I remember my heart thinking and saying, dude, and, and he'll tell you, I, I told him this. I said, look, you know the basics. <laughs> Don't back talk your mama. <laughs> Don't lie and try to keep your room clean. If there's anything else, we'll tell you. In other words, relax. It hurt me that he was, how am I doing, Dad? Are you okay with me? Because I knew that's how I was with my fa earthly father, and I also was with the heavenly father. And I didn't want him to be like that. Paul said, I, I don't examine myself. I leave that to the Lord. Go to Psalm 139. It's the Lord who tests our heart. Psalm 139, look at verses 23 and 24. Search me, O God, and know my heart. Try me and know my thoughts. And see if there be any grievous way in me and lead me in the way everlasting. David has just gone on in this whole psalm to say, it doesn't matter where I go, you're there, God. I can't go anywhere, you're not. Before words even on my tongue, you know it completely, he says. There's nothing about me you don't know. You know when I get up and when I lie down, you know everything about me. And then he ends with this. If there's something you want to show me in my life, show me. Until then, you don't need my help. And a lot of you think you're being spiritual when you, how am I doing? Am I doing enough for the Lord? Am I examining myself? Actually, the only place in the scripture that the Bible tells us to examine ourselves is in 1 Corinthians chapter 11, when it comes to take time to take the Lord's Supper, you're to make sure that you're treating the brothers and sisters correctly. That's what that examine yourself is. If you look at that passage in Scripture, in the whole context, Paul's dealing with the fact that they were having a koinonia fellowship meal, that Jesus died for us, and they weren't treating each other very well as a church. But that's the only place in the Scripture that it tells you to examine yourself right before you take the Lord's Supper. Every time else, leave it to the Lord. He'll show you. So, are our hearts a mess? Yes. But, are we to then sit around and say, how am I doing, how am I doing? No, the Lord will show you your heart. All right? Now, don't just examine your outward appearance because you're going to fool yourself or others are going to be fooled. How many of us have been blown away when in a pastor that we revered, all of a sudden it came out that he had a double life? Or some other Christian, doesn't have to be a pastor. Could just be a very strong Christian family. And all of a sudden, secret sins that had been there for years, all of a sudden came into the light. And we were blown away because they appeared so spiritual. Well, before you spend too much time thinking about somebody else, what about the things God's talking to you about that the people at your table don't even know about? It's real easy for us to make it appear to the people around us that we're outwardly righteous. But God knows your heart. And that's what he's dealing with here in this section of the, song, of the Sermon on the Mount. He's going further now to deal with their heart. Last week, if you remember, he dealt with anger. He took the passage that said, you shall not murder. And he said, let me show you what I mean, though, what, what God, how God looks at that. Man looks at the outward appearance. God looks at the heart. So to do this and to reveal the heart, Jesus speaks to them about the commandment from Exodus chapter 20. You don't have to turn there, verse 14. In the Ten Commandments, you get to Exodus 20, verse 14, where it says, you shall not commit adultery. Now, he clarifies that if you had thought lustfully about a woman, 
you've already broken God's law where? In your heart. Even if you never acted on your thoughts physically, now let me just get this clear here. Being tempted, tempted in and of itself is not a sin. Because if being tempted was a sin, Jesus sinned. Because it says in Hebrews chapter 4, verse 15, that he was tempted in every way, yet without sin. So being tempted is not a sin. But the scripture also says, though, that when that temptation takes root in your heart and it, you start to dwell on it in your thought life, it becomes sin. Go to James chapter 1, and you'll see it real clearly. In James chapter 1, verses 14 and 15. James chapter 1, verses 14 and 15. It says, each person is tempted when he is lured and enticed by his own desire. Then desire, when it has conceived, gives birth to sin, and sin, when it is fully grown, brings forth death. Again, listen closely. When you're tempted, you haven't sinned. But once that temptation moves from just the temptation to it now giving birth to sin in your heart, when you start thinking and dwelling on it, Billy Graham put it really, really well. He said, I can't keep the birds from flying over my head, but I can keep them from making a nest in my hair. Those of us who have struggled with lust over the years and temptation to sin when it comes to beautiful women know that there is temptation everywhere in this world and they're getting stronger and stronger. Nowadays, it's so easy to look at pornography when you just have a phone and no one will even know what you're looking at. When, when those of us who are a little older were younger, if you were gonna look at a naked woman, you had to go to a store and buy a magazine from behind a counter and someone had to see you do it. But now it's, it's, it's well, the TV programs themselves and the commercials and everything. You can't, Keep that stuff from happening, but you can keep it from making a nest in your hair. The birds are going to fly over your head. Now, some then have asked, and this is a question I dealt with for years as a pastor and a lot as a youth pastor, especially around the time of Clinton in his presidency and what was going on with all of that. Some may want to ask the question, so when does temptation turn to lust and sin? At what point does it stop being temptation and start becoming sin? And I've had that question asked a lot. I remember when I was a youth pastor and, and uh, the stuff was happening, they would say, well, is this sexual sin? Or if we only do this, is it sexual sin? Let me ask you this question. Why are you even asking the question of when does it pass from temptation to sin? Let's get to your heart. Because all of us, our first thought is, is, when does it move from temptation to sin? And there's two reasons a lot of times why people ask that question. The first one is this. They want to know how close they can get to sin without sinning. And I had to learn as a young youth pastor and talk to the young people and say, why are you wanting to find out how close you can get to sin? Why don't you want to find out how close you can get to Jesus? And another reason why we ask that question is we want to justify ourselves. I only did it this far. And I'm okay because, again, you're now looking at the outward action, measuring your outward action. The fact that we even ask the question, at what point does that temptation turn to sin, shows our hearts. So what I want to talk to you about is how close can I get to God the Bible actually says the best move in this area would be to guard your heart. 
would be to guard your heart. By the way, does anybody know why to ever answer, and nobody can answer this question for you, to ever, to ever actually come up with an answer of when it ceases being temptation and when it becomes sin, why would that be a bad thing for us? Legalism. We'd all want to go right to that edge. We think we're okay because we're obeying the letter of the law, and God says, actually, the fact that you wanted to get as close as you could to sin, you've already stepped over the line. Go ahead, Vic. Well, it's, it's kind of like um, the whole age of accountability thing. It's not, it's not a clear line on anything. What we're really looking and waiting for is when we have those thoughts that are temptations, God convicts. That's the point where we need to yield to him. If he convicts us, this is sinful, and we keep going in that direction, we have sinned. You got it. And at the same time, sometimes when he convicts, we've already crossed the line. Sometimes he convicts when we've already crossed the line. Again, I don't, I don't want you to answer that question. I want you to focus on getting closer to the Lord. Actually, the scripture puts it in a different way. Take, go to Proverbs chapter 4. You know how Jesus told the Pharisees that they strained at a gnat and swallowed a camel. In Proverbs chapter 4, look at verses 20 through 23. My son, be attentive to my words. Incline your ear to my sayings. Let them not escape from your sight. Keep them where? Within your heart. For their life to those who find them and healing to all their flesh. Keep your heart, some translations say guard your heart. I think that's a good one. Keep your heart with all vigilance, for from it flow the springs of life. Guard your heart, the scripture says. Guard your heart. Jump down to Proverbs chapter 7. Chapter 7, Proverbs 7, verses 1 through 5. My son, keep my words and treasure up my commandments with you. Keep my commandments and live. Keep my teaching as the apple of your eye. Bind them on your fingers. Write them on the tablet of your, what? Heart. Say to wisdom, you're my sister, and call insight your intimate friend to keep you from the forbidden woman, from the adulteress with her smooth words. And then in the rest of this chapter, it goes on in great detail of how this woman goes into detail for her planning to get you to trip up sexually. And jump down to verse 24 of chapter 7. And now, O oh sons, listen to me and be attentive to the words of my mouth. Let not your heart turn aside to her ways. Do not stray into her paths. For many a victim she has laid low, and all her slain are a mighty throng. Her house is the way to Sheol, going down to the chambers of death. The scripture says that you want to stay clean and pure in this area? Don't think, is this okay, or is this okay? Is this allowed? The scripture says, don't even get close. Flee the youthful desires. Don't play with it. When God brought the nation of Israel into the promised land, he said to them, when I send you in and you wipe them all out, don't look at their idols or even gaze at them. Destroy them. Get them away. Don't even play with them. Because I think the scripture said we got a problem with our hearts. 
they're deceitful. We think we can handle it. We can't. Those of you that have fallen into sin, you know you never intended to go as far as you did. Why, as a pastor over the years, I've warned people. I know your, your company might want you to travel with a lady on a business trip. Don't do it. Well, it's harmless. We're not going to do anything. Don't even go close to that. Don't see how close you can get. That's why as I travel, I always make sure that I avoid, as the Scripture says, the appearance of evil. I stay away from all that kind of stuff. I don't deal with the money when it comes to the ministry. Uh, when I travel, I make sure that I stay by myself, and I don't let anybody anywhere near the room. And I, I want to st- I, I've told my wife, look, I love you, but I'm going to be faithful to you because I want to preach. I don't want to be disqualified. And to keep myself, because my, I'm not better than anybody else, to keep myself from that, I don't see how close I can get to sin and still be okay. I stay away from it. And some people think me foolish. They all made fun of Mike Pence when he talked about that. You remember? Good for him. He's guarding his heart. He's guarding his heart. Tim Tebow as well. Guard your heart. Go to Deuteronomy chapter 11. So again, if your brain goes to, well, at what point does it turn to sin? Why do you ask that question? Why are you even trying to go there? Leave it alone. Deuteronomy chapter 11, look at verses 13 through 18. And if you will indeed obey my commandments that I command you today, to love the Lord your God and to serve him with all your heart and with all your soul, he will give rain for your land in its season, the early rain and the latter rain, that you may gather in your grain and your wine and your oil, and he'll give you grass in your fields for your livestock, and you shall eat and be full. Take care lest your heart be deceived, and you turn aside and serve other gods and worship them. Then the anger of the Lord will be kindled against you, and he'll shut up the heavens so that there'll be no rain, and the land will not yield its fruit, and you'll perish quickly off the good land the Lord God is giving you. You shall therefore lay up these words of mine in your heart and in your soul, and you shall bind them as a sign on your hand, and they shall be as frontlets between your eyes. I think the scripture we all know well and love to quote is, Pride goeth before a fall. Folks, Blessed are the poor in spirit, those who realize they're spiritually bankrupt. Blessed are those who realize that my heart is deceitful above all things and beyond cure. I don't even want to flirt with it. To guard my heart so that it doesn't turn aside, I'm going to stay away from that stuff. Sure. With all the passages, I hide your words in my heart that I may not guard your heart as the center of evil. If he wants you to hide the word in there, yeah. I, I see. To me, I find that that would be the last place I would want to hide things if it's so deceitful. Good, but what's the only thing that's going to help fix your heart? And his word. And who is the word? And actually, the Bible actually says in the book of James, receive the implanted word, which is able to save your soul. In other words, and we're going to get to that in just a second, when his word is allowed to take root in our hearts, he gives us a heart transplant. He doesn't just fix it. Remember, it's beyond cure. You can't fix that heart. As you're going to see in a little second, and I'm glad you're tracking with me, Bill, uh, he's going to give us a new heart. But he does that through his word. 
Sanctify them by your truth. Your word is truth. It's your word that I've hid in my heart that I may not sin against you. The scripture is very, very clear. One more passage. Go to Hebrews chapter 12. Look at verses 1 and 2. Therefore, since we're surrounded by so great a cloud of witnesses, let us also lay aside every weight and sin which clings so closely and run with endurance the race that is set before us, looking to Jesus, the founder and the perfecter of our faith, who for the joy was set before him endured the cross, despising the shame, and is seated at the right hand of the throne of God. All right, I'm going to ask you a question. What did you focus on the most as I read that to you? The laying aside the sin or the fixing your eyes on Jesus? And you don't have to answer that out loud, but that'll show you where your focus should, is. Your focus should be on fixing your eyes on Jesus. If you try to lay aside the sin, you're not going to be able to because you've just put your focus where? On the sin. Remember, he said, don't play with it. Don't flirt with it. Don't, don't examine it. Don't gaze at it. How many of you have tried to stop sinning? You might even have made resolutions and I'm not going to do that anymore and I'm not going to do that. And you've heard the preacher say this before. Right now, everybody, do not think about a pink elephant. And your brain goes, I just pictured a pink elephant. Fix your eyes on Jesus. Focus on his word. Guard your heart. Don't think, how close can I get to sin? Don't try to figure out when the temptation becomes sin. Don't go there. You stay with Jesus, and he takes care of all that other stuff. So I say, walk in the Spirit, and you will not gratify the desires of the flesh. How do you lay aside the sin? You fix your eyes on Jesus. Since you've been raised with Christ, set your minds on things above, where Christ is seated. Now, in the rest of these verses, go back to Matthew chapter 5. In the rest of these verses of this section we're studying, Jesus then says, well, if your right eye causes you to sin, tear it out. Let me read this section to you. It says in verse 23, uh, sorry, not verse 23, verse uh, 29, if your right eye causes you to sin, tear it out and throw it away. For it's better that you lose one of your members than that your whole body be thrown into hell. And if your right hand causes you to sin, cut it off and throw it away. For it's better that you lose one of your members than your whole body go into hell. So with everything that we've just learned about sin being rooted in our hearts, was Jesus teaching that self-mutilation can cure our lust? Well, how do you know? How do you know? You lost your left eye, and you still struggle with some of this stuff, right? If you were blind... You'd still struggle with it, wouldn't you? Actually, the issue is not in your eyes or your hands. Remember, Jesus said it's not what comes from the outside into us that makes us impure. It's what comes from within us. It's already there. So he can't be teaching that the way that we can make sure we live purely is to just cut off our right hand or cut off our eyes. Or you know, Some people think, oh, I'll just never watch television again. Well, if you need to for a season and that helps you begin to guard your heart, that's great. But if you're putting your faith in the fact that you don't watch television, you don't know your heart. There's other ways that that sin will still be revealed. So what's he saying then? Why is he saying pluck out your eye and cut off your hand? Well, Jesus is using graphic hyperbole 
to demonstrate the seriousness of the sins of lust and evil desire. Is anybody caught yet that when Jesus began to do this Sermon on the Mount and he says, you know what it's been said, but I say, he jumps straight to murder, which is really anger, and lust, or committing adultery, which is really lust. You notice he, he didn't jump with, he start with number one of the Ten Commandments. He jumped down to anger and lust. Anybody have any idea why he jumped straight to anger and lust? Well, definitely more than the fact that the Israelites cheated on him. That's a deeper issue, but he, doesn't, he didn't go there for that reason right off the bat. Well, everything's a hard issue. Okay, lust of the eyes, lust of the flesh, pride of life. Well, without God, that's exactly what you have. I'm sorry? Without God. So if he goes down... Okay, that's true as well. Without God, that's exactly what you have. Go ahead, Becky. I think people tend to think, well, I haven't murdered anybody. Yeah. Jesus was calling them out right away. You're, you're getting close. Those are sins against your own body. Mm-hmm. You know, as opposed to the first ones are against, directly to God. But these right. are against our own body, which our human nature has a tendency to go after. That's part of it. I'm going to ask you this question. Anybody here never have an issue with anger? Okay, good. Yeah, because if someone raised your hand, I was going to say, I don't have to ask who in here has an issue with lying. All right. Does anybody in here never had an issue with temptation to lust? And now see, Jim, somebody say, well, as a woman, I'm not. He was talking to the men. Oh, some of you ladies read some Harlequin romances and maybe you've actually looked at a guy and not thought sexually as much as he would take much better care of me. He would listen. It's one of the things I had to learn over the years as a pastor that I, I stopped doing counseling because I spent a lot of time counseling women who had bad husbands. And they'd show up in my office and there I was dressed nicely and I listened and I have a degree. And the next thing you know, Scientific term is transference. All of a sudden, I looked good to them. Plus, I'm a guy. I could be tempted as well. That's why when I, I did this in everywhere I was, in every church I was pastoring, you can go in here now to where my office was. The first thing I did when I got there, because there was no window in the door, I took the door off the frame. And I said, I won't have a door in my office until someone puts a window in that door. So that if I'm ever in there with someone alone, they'll see at all times what's going on in there. But I also then realized I don't even need to be doing this counseling anymore one-on-one. There are people that are gifted to do it. There are people that are more skilled at it than me. And actually, it hinders my preaching. I found out that if you come and share with me a struggle in your life, and then I just happen to have to preach in it the next week as I'm going through the verse-by-verse of the Scriptures, you're going to think that I'm sharing your dirty laundry with everybody there. And everything you shared with me in counseling, I'm now preaching about. No, if I touched on something that hit you between the eyes, guess what? I didn't know God did. You can't blame me. And it hindered my preaching, and I didn't want anything to hinder my preaching. But part of the reason also was I want to keep my heart guarded. So Jesus is saying hell is so severe and torturous that you'd rather go to heaven with body parts missing than go to hell with all your parts intact. Let me read you a couple of places else that he said this. It wasn't just here in Matthew 5. Go to Matthew 18. 
wonderfully, wonderfully put. What, she just, what Susan just said was this, it's a temporal issue versus an eternal issue. Giving up on something in this life is way better than losing something for eternity, is what she was sharing. I think that's a part of what Jesus is teaching as well. Matthew 18, look at verses 7, 8, and 9. Woe to the world for temptations to sin. For it's necessary that temptations come. But woe to the one by whom the temptation comes. And if your hand or your foot causes you to sin, cut it off and throw it away. It's better for you to enter life crippled or lame than with two hands or two feet and be thrown into the eternal fire. And if your eye causes you to sin, tear it out and throw it away. It's better for you to enter life with one eye than with two eyes and be thrown into the hell of fire. Jump over to Mark. Look at chapter 9. Look at verses 42 through 48. Whoever causes one of these little ones to believe in me to sin, it'd be better for him if a great millstone were hung around his neck and he were thrown into the sea. And if your hand causes you to sin, cut it off. It's better for you to enter life crippled than with two hands and go to hell to the unquenchable fire. And if your foot causes you to sin, cut it off. It's better for you to enter life lame than with two feet and be thrown into hell. And if your eye causes you to sin, tear it out. It's better for you to enter the kingdom of God with one eye than with two eyes and be thrown into, the, into hell where the worm does not die and the fire is not quenched. Now, Jesus, again, is not saying this is how you fix your problem. But you know what? <laughs> if you were listening and you really wanted to have eyes to see and ears to hear, and you really wanted to understand the depth of what Jesus was saying here, you would say, hang on for a second, Jesus. As you've been teaching, you've been showing that the issue is really in my heart, not in my actions, and not with my hand. It isn't really my hand that's causing me to sin. It's not really my eye that's causing me to sin. It's my heart. And you've been saying that. So what are you really saying here? Is, is What I'm hearing is this. It's better that I go into hell Sorry, better that I go into heaven with parts missing than with, with, with all, all my parts and go into hell. What are you really saying? And, 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 and Jesus, you've got to help me out here. Taking my eye out and my hand off isn't what's going to solve my problem. And you can almost picture Jesus saying, okay, good. Because I want you to get to the point where you stop thinking there's something you can do to fix the situation. How do we deal with this sin problem? How do we deal with it then? If it's in our hearts and not in our hands or our feet. The same way that the scripture has been saying all along, listen closely, by faith in God's provision for your sin. By faith in God's covering of your sin and his forgiveness of your sin. By faith in God's giving you a new Go with me to some scriptures that I want to use tonight for the last part that we have here. Go to Ezekiel chapter 36. Ezekiel 36 verses 26 and 27. Ezekiel, remember the heart that you have of the flesh is sinful and beyond cure. Don't forget that. Ezekiel 36 verses 26 and 27 God says, I will give you a new heart and a new spirit I'll put within you. I will remove your heart of stone from your flesh and give you a heart of flesh. And I'll put my spirit within you and I'll cause you to walk in my statutes and be careful to obey my rules. You remember 2 Corinthians 5? If anyone is in Christ, he's a what? A new creation. 
The old is gone, the new has come. Now, we still are in these bodies. We're still tempted to sin. We've been made new in our spirit, and we've been given a new heart, but God still at the same time is teaching us how to walk by faith. And we need to live in the new nature that we've been given. By the way, some of you may not know this now. When, if you as a believer sin today, you're sinning against your nature. You've been given a new, cre- you're a new creation. You've been given a new nature. If you sin today as a Christian, and we still all do off and on, you're sinning against your nature. Don't say, well, I'm the only human. You know, it's just my nature to sin. Not if you've been made a new creation in Christ. That's not your nature anymore. You've been given a new nature. You actually, when we sin, it's against your nature. That's why in Romans 7 and verses 14 and following, Paul says that when I sin, it's no longer I who do it, but sin that lives in me. Go to Psalm 51. By the way, has anybody noticed yet that I've been showing you how to deal with this in Old Testament passages? It's been there all along. The gospel of grace and forgiveness of sins through faith in God giving you a new heart has been in there all along. The New Testament is not a new thing. The New Testament just brings to light what's been in the Old Testament all along. Psalm 51, look at verses 1 through 12 and then verses 16 and 17. David, as you know, had just sinned with Bathsheba. And he cries out, have mercy on me, O God, according to your steadfast love, according to your abundant mercy, blot out my transgressions. Wash me thoroughly from my iniquity and cleanse me from my sin. For I know my transgression and my sin is ever before me against you. You only have I sinned and done what is evil in your sight so that you may be justified in your words and blameless in your judgment. Behold, I was brought forth in iniquity, and in sin did my mother conceive me. Behold, you delight in truth in the inward being, and you teach me wisdom in the secret heart. Purge me with hyssop, and I shall be clean. Wash me, and I shall be whiter than snow. Let me hear the joy of gladness, and let the bones that you have broken rejoice. Hide your face from my sins, and blot out all my iniquities. Create in me a clean heart, O God, and renew a right spirit within me. Cast me not away from your presence, and take not your Holy Spirit from me. Restore to me the joy of your salvation, and uphold me with a willing spirit. By the way, did anybody catch where where, uh, David says, I'm going to do this now, and I'm going to do this now, and I'm going to make it right? Did he ever do that? He said, you got to give me this. By the way, real quickly, though, before we come back to Psalm 51, those of you that know the story of David and Bathsheba and all that, was David convicted of his sin right away when he sinned with Bathsheba? Was he convicted when he tried to cover it up by having uh, Uriah go and sleep with his wife? Was he convicted when, when Uriah died? Isn't that interesting? David's heart had gotten so hard, he didn't even realize the depth of his sin. And it isn't until the baby is almost a year old that Nathan the prophet, under God's instruction, goes to him and points out his sin. Stick with me here. We love to play God. We love to see the sin in other people's lives, and we want to point out the stuff we see that other people are doing right away. But sometimes God says, for my purposes, I'm going to deal with it, but I'm going to deal with it in my time and in my way. The scripture shows us 
that Jesus knew that John had been, sorry, not John, Judas had been stealing from the treasury as the treasurer of their group. But we see nowhere in the scripture where Jesus ever confronted Judas about that issue. Folks, be very careful before you go to confront someone about their sin. You make sure the Lord's told you that it's time and you do it under his direction and in his spirit and in love. And many times when we see things that we think ought to be dealt with, Pastor, you need to know about these things that people are doing. Um, hey, if God's not in a hurry to convict, neither should you be. Politicians are exempt from that as well. <laughs> be careful. Be careful. Staying away from all that stuff. Listen closely now to verses 16 and 17. For you will not delight in sacrifice, or I'd give it. You'll not be pleased with a burnt offering. The sacrifices of God are a broken spirit, a broken and contrite, what? Heart, O oh God, you will not despise. Here was David, King David, in the midst of the height of the sacrificial system and the temple and all this stuff, or the tabernacle at the time of David. And he even understood, I don't have to go do a sacrifice to make this right. That's not what you're wanting. You're wanting me to humble myself and to acknowledge where I am and who I am and to say, I'm in trouble. I need a savior. God, do a work in my heart. Forgive me. Wash me clean. Jesus said, woe unto you who cause other people to sin. Boy, it'd be better for you that a millstone be hung around your neck and you'd be thrown into the depths of the sea. Boy, it'd be better for you if that happened, if you ever caused anybody to sin. Let me ask you a question. Do you think Paul ever caused anybody to sin before he got saved? Over and over. He was a blasphemer. He was a murderer. He actually took part in putting people to death that believed in him. And he was teaching people that way is false. Oh, buddy, you think somebody needed to have a millstone hung around their neck? Be Paul. But did, is that what Jesus did for Paul? No. In his mercy, he humbled him and opened his eyes to the truth. And he washed him clean. Paul actually went on and said, I'm probably the worst of any sinner. But God chose to display in me the chief of sinners, his mercy. Folks, that should be our hearts. Not quick to judge. The Holy Spirit is the one who convicts, and he'll do it. Did you know what Paul said again in 1 Corinthians 4, the passage I read to you? I'm not going to even judge myself. I leave that to the Lord. And he might even save some of it till the day of judgment to reveal what's in people's hearts. We have a tendency sometimes to question people's motives. Who are you to really know what someone's motives are? Go to Job chapter 33. Told you it's been all along in the Old Testament. Job 33. Look at verses 22 through 28. Job 33 verse 22. By the way, to set the stage for where we are, I'm jumping in the middle of the chapter here. Uh, Elihu says there's lots of ways that God speaks. And one of the ways he speaks is he puts us through sickness to get our attention. And he says this person's soul draws near to the pit and his life to those who bring death. If there be for him an angel, a mediator, one of the thousand, to declare to man what is right for him, and he is merciful to him and says, deliver him from going down to the pit. I have found a ransom 
Let his flesh become fresh with youth. Let him return to the days of his youthful vigor. Then the man prays to God, and God accepts him. He sees his face with a shout of joy, and he restores to man his righteousness. He sings before men and says, I sinned and perverted what was right, and it was not repaid to me. He has redeemed my soul from going down into the pit, and my life shall look upon the light. Folks, that's the gospel. There's a mediator. There's one mediator who says, don't have his soul go down to the pit. I found a ransom for him. And then he declares him righteous. The guy says, I was guilty, but I didn't get what I deserved. God kept my life from going down to the pit. Go to Romans chapter 3. Verses 21 through 26. Now a righteousness of God, the righteousness of God has been manifested apart from the law, although the law and the prophets bear witness to it. We just saw that. We just read it. The law and the prophets have borne witness to it. The righteousness of God through faith in Jesus Christ for all who believe. For there is no distinction For all have sinned and fall short of the glory of God and are justified by His grace as a gift through the redemption that's in Christ Jesus, whom God put forward as a propitiation by His blood to be received by faith. This was to show God's righteousness because in His divine forbearance He had passed over former sins. There it is again. If God's not in a hurry to convict and point out every little sin, why are we that way if that's who God is? In his divine forbearance, he had passed over former sins. It was to show his righteousness at the present time so that he might be, the, be just and the justifier of the one who has faith in Jesus. Go to Acts chapter 2. Look at verses 36 through 39. Peter's been preaching in the under the power of the Holy Spirit at Pentecost here. And he ends his sermon this way, and he says, Let all the house of Israel therefore know for certain that God has made him, this is Jesus, both Lord and Christ, this Jesus whom you crucified. Now when they heard this, the people were cut, where? To their hearts. They didn't say, I need to start doing better. I need to fix my actions They were cut to their heart, and they said to Peter and the rest of the apostles, Brothers, what shall we do? Peter said to them, Repent, and be baptized, every one of you, in the name of Jesus Christ, for the forgiveness of your sins. And you'll receive the gift of the Holy Spirit. For the promise is for you and for your children and for all who are far off, everyone whom the Lord our God calls to himself. And with many other words, he bore witness and continued to exhort them, saying, Save yourselves from this crooked generation. So those who received his word were baptized, and they were added that day about 3,000 souls. As he preached, the Holy Spirit convicted them, and they were cut to their heart. Let me ask you a question as we close tonight. I know that I'm talking to mostly Christians here in this room, if not everyone in here being a believer. I know there are people listening that might not be, and if you haven't come to that place where you have been cut to your heart and you turn to Jesus and say, I need you to give me righteousness. I need through your death 
through your sinless life, your death on the cross, your resurrection of the dead by your power. I believe you're God. I need you to give me this righteousness. My faith is in you to cover my sins. If you've never done that, please, please don't, don't wait. The day's coming that the church age is coming to a close. It's very soon. But for those that are here tonight and those that are listening that are believers, if you've been given a new heart and he's put his spirit within you to cause you to move and to follow his decrees, what should we be focusing on then? Should we be focusing on our sin? We should be focusing on Jesus and starting to learn how to live in the new way. Paul wrote about that a lot. I don't have time to take you there. To learn in the new way, not in the old way of the written code, but to live in the new way of the Spirit. We need to learn how to walk in our new nature. Unfortunately, most of the preaching we grew up under was to stop sinning. I heard one preacher put it this way, put it really well. We've been taught for years after salvation how to get out of a room we were never in. If you have been made new, you have been set free from the law of sin and death. The righteous right requirements of the law have already been met in you through Christ, and you are now in Christ. Your focus should not be on stopping sinning. Your focus should be on walking with Jesus. And all the other stuff falls into place. I love you. Have a Merry Christmas.